First Corinthians chapter one. We're actually just going to read one verse, uh, verse one, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Christian Smith is a researcher, and he's a Christian as well. His name is Christian, but he's a Christian as well. And uh, he wrote a book. He was doing some research, and it was called Soul Searching. It's the religious and spiritual life of American teenagers. It came out about eight years ago or so. But he concludes in the book that many young adults have faith characterized by moralistic, therapeutic deism. What that simply means, according to this, is a view of God that if we live good lives and are kind to one another, then God will provide all our therapeutic benefits to us like self-esteem and happiness. Other than that, God's not much involved. He says this view has profoundly affected even their prayers. Smith found that American teenagers, and I would dare say it goes beyond teenagers, but he was looking at teenagers, uh, personally say they pray frequently. 40% say they pray daily or more. 15% are those who say they never pray. However, in the interview, he began to find out that the motivation of prayer is largely focused on meeting their own needs. The teens interviewed said they pray things like, if I ever have a problem, I go pray. It helps me deal with my problems. It calms me down for the most part. Praying makes me feel more secure, like there's something out there helping me. Another one said, I would say prayer is an essential part of my success. Smith began to realize that young Americans' prayer lacked two things. Admiration or praise and repentance. He made the statement, this is a religion that is not repenting from sin. It's, again, Smith concluded, it's a distant God that's not demanding because his job is to solve problems and make people feel good. There's nothing in that that would evoke wonder or awe. Repentance is being lost in much of Christianity today. Jesus and John the Baptist, their first message was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1.15, and the time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom is near. Repent from your sins and believe the good news. We're going to examine a man that only appears in the Bible in two scriptures. But the profound change in Sostenes is so amazing that it is a great picture of repentance. 1 Corinthians 1.1 And this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle 
of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sostenes. Now, again, he appears one other time. We're going to look at that in just a moment. We know very little about Sostenes. We really don't know that much about him. But yet he appears here. He does not appear in any other letter that the Apostle Paul will write. Timothy makes many appearances. Uh, uh, there are others that will make uh, uh, appearances in especially the introduction, the benediction, if you will, of the letter. But Sostenus, he only makes his appearance in this letter and at this time. Now, Paul was in Greece. He, he's preaching in Athens. Uh, and he in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, it tells us that he leaves Athens and he went to Corinth. Now, I've actually had the privilege of being in Greece and, uh, and preaching in, uh, in, in Megra, which is actually between Corinth and, and, uh, uh, and Athens. And it's not that far. It probably uh, would have been a 45-minute drive. So this probably would have taken a day, maybe two, for the Apostle Paul to walk there. If he had gotten some kind of transportation, he might have made it in one day. I told Pastor Campo when I saw Corinth, I said, I could go to Corinth. And he's like, well, brother, you know, many people spiritualize those old... I'm like, bag that, man. It's a beautiful port city. I could live there. He's like, well, yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that. It really is a beautiful city. They have the old ancient city. Paul goes there to preach. This is the city where God visits him in a dream and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it tells us that Crispus was the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others did in Corinth and Paul, uh, and also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. There's a revival going on. In Corinth, we see this. It's happening. God's moving. And then some of the leaders of the synagogue say, we're going to take Paul before the judge and we're going to get this man arrested. And he had been arrested in other cities, uh, you know, uh, just a couple of uh, 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 chapters before this, he was in Philippi. And he was arrested there. And of course, uh, if you know the story, he and Silas begin to sing. And as they begin to sing, an earthquake happens. The doors are open. The jailer was going to commit suicide because uh, he was afraid they had escaped. He said, no, we're here. And he becomes a believer. So they had been in jail. They had been beaten. They had been all sorts of things. And so they bring them before Galileo. And in Acts chapter 18, verse 12, it says, When Gallio, the governor of Achaia, and some of the Jews rose up against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. And so they lay this out that he's preaching another and, you know, against Caesar. And, and, and the governor says, you know what? I don't have time for this. 
This is religious disputes. I, I'm not interested in your old Jewish religion or how you say he's perverted it or what. I'm not interested. And in verse 17, the crowd grabbed Sostenes, the leader now of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the, uh, in the courtroom. And Galileo paid no attention. This is the only other time we read of this man, that he was opposing the Apostle Paul. He's trying to set him up. He's trying to get him arrested. He's trying to beat him. He's trying to get him hurt, both physically and spiritually. He's trying to stop the work of God. This man is opposed to what God wants to do. And we don't know where. It's not recorded in the Bible. There's very little history on this man. There's some speculation, different things, but... Somewhere between Acts chapter 18 and by the time Paul writes the first letter of the Corinthians, Sostenes gets saved. He repents. We don't know exactly where this happened. We don't know if it was right after the beating or if he still tried to make Paul's life miserable. And it happened some months or possibly years later. We don't know. But we do know that he does. I think one of the reasons why Paul would have a heart for this man is Paul remembered what he was like before he was a Christian. He says to Timothy... I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me the strength to do his work, for he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to be a blaspheme, the name of Christ, I was an insolent man. I persecuted his people, but God had mercy upon me because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. As he tells Timothy this, he says, you know what? I used to do the same things that he was doing, I was, I had a letter in my hand to go to the chief of the synagogue of Damascus and arrest anyone who was a believer. He had even consented to Saul's, to, uh, uh, to, uh, Stephen's death. He didn't actually participate, but he held the cloaks, he held the jackets of those who were throwing the stones. Paul probably remembered, it's good in repentance to remember where you come from. Remember what kind of sinner you was. And how you were on your way to a devil's hell. Obviously, Sostenes shows the fruits of repentance. Matthew 3, this is John the Baptist, verse 8, Prove by the way you live that you have repented from your sins and turned to God. The King James, New King James says, Bring the fruits worthy 
of repentance. By proving that in the way that you live. One man said true repentance is to cease from sin. A changed heart. Changed life. Paul writes to the Corinthians later in 2 Corinthians. And he says, For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. I've seen people, they get saved, but they're living together. And they'll say, oh, but we're married in the sight of God. And they they want to justify their sin. They want to spin it in a way that says, no, this is okay, or that was okay. I'm just doing what everybody else does. I mean, I'm not as bad as some of the other people. It's not gossip. It's important information for you to know. We can spin things. And try to make it sound like it's spiritual. I was talking to a man recently. This man was married for 26 years. He was a, he, he, I, I hope he's saved. But he left his wife. And as I'm, as he's telling me the story, oh, Keith, you don't know how bad it's been. 26 years of abuse, this and that and that and this and, she did this, and she wouldn't do that, and she did it, and I was like, okay. You know, I, I scratch my head sometimes when I, I, this is for free. But when, you know, I talk to some married couples, I'm like, what the heck do you expect? Some, some men expect their wives to be nothing but, you know, uh, a, a servant goddess. That she's going to cook dinner and want to sleep with you right afterwards. I don't know if you know that's not women. And then I don't know what some men are looking for. Some women are looking for. Well, he farts. No kidding. He doesn't do everything I want him to do. He's not going to. Just keep pushing him that way. Push him right out the door. Anyway, that was for free. Well, 45 minutes into the conversation, I find out, well, he's had a emotional online affair. But it took 45 minutes to get there. And so how is he justifying this? She was a bad wife. See, we are masters at bringing out the justification that's not really the fruits of repentance. This is what Simeon did in Acts chapter 8. He saw the apostles praying for the Holy Spirit. He said, I want that. I'll pay you money for that. You give me that gift. He hadn't genuinely repented. He was just enamored with some of the effects of Christianity. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, I consider the chief danger which confronts the coming century 
to be a religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. He prophesied so clearly. Think about this man's sustenance for just a moment. This one verse gives us such tremendous insight into this man and what he became. Paul calls him a brother. Now, that's not a light term. I know we we throw it around to the, hey, bro, brother. It's like, you know, it's a great catch. You go to conferences you see people you haven't seen in a couple of years and you're thinking, I don't know your name and hey, bro, it's good to see you. True story with me. This man comes up to me and he says, hey, Keith, good to see you. I'm like, good to see you too, bro. I'm trying to think of his name. His And uh, so I go over to Casey Mammon, Bob Mammon's son, and I'm like, Casey, who's that? And he laughs. <laughs> That's my Uncle Gary. He preached for you. I'm like, yes. And he came up to me and asked me your name when he saw you. And so, <laughs> like, so Gary and I laugh about that now. But Paul uses this term in the highest regard now. Jesus said in Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 35, if anyone wants to, uh, does God's will, He is my brother, my sister, and my mother. When someone repents, they become a brother or sister in Christ. But that term has to be held in respect. Paul writes of Onesimus, was a runaway slave from a man named Philemon. He runs away. It's a death sentence. But somewhere in the process, he gets his heart right. He ends up with Paul in Rome somehow. And Paul sends him back with a letter pleading for his life. And it says, it seems, he writes to Philemon, Philemon 1, 15 and 16, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So when Paul uses this term, it's more than just an associate. You know, I, I went to Catholic Church as a kid, and you associate with people at Catholic Church, but they're not brothers and sisters. You might call them father or sister or whatever, but that, it's not what they really are. It's more than a friend or a colleague. Our standing is we're adopted by Christ. And as being adopted by Christ... Or by Father God, Christ becomes our big brother. And that means we all become brothers and sisters 
in the Lord. Because we have been adopted into a family. I actually had a job where I worked with a sister in the church, Cape Cod Church. I was a brand new convert. And she kept saying to me, bro, bro, bro. And another waitress came over and she's like, you two are related? And I quit back. I went, yeah, we have the same father. She goes, oh, never thinking we don't look anything alike. Uh, our last names are not the same. Anything like that. Didn't She just went, oh, and walked away. Like she didn't get it. But with that comes responsibilities. The term brother means you're in fellowship. He says, he's with me. And the desire to want to be godly means that you're going to be around other godly people. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that you see the day of his return drawing near. The gathering he's with now, godly people. He is no longer opposing them. He's actually with them. And the remarkable thing about that is Paul calls him brother. We know he had to show the fruits of repentance. Paul warns us, and he warns the Corinthians actually. Chapter 5, he told them, he said, don't hang around or associate with people that are bad news. And he said, I'm in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 and 12, I meant that you do not associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Some translations, a brother, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or idol worship or abusive or a drunkard or a cheat, cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge inside the church who are sinning. So Paul says, you know what? There's going to be people that are going to come into church and they're not going to repent. They're going to justify. They're not going to show the fruits worthy of repentance. He says, don't associate with them. Herbert Bolton said, confession without repentance is just bragging. There has to be repentance. Now, I understand there's, you have to give patience and time and give an opportunity for people to get their heart right. And if they're, you know, uh, struggling with issues, we don't just write them off. I get all that. But there are some people, they're disruptive. Sexual sin we can't mess with. There are other attitudes of rebellion you can't mess with. Titus 3, 11, uh, 10 and 11, if people are causing divisions among you, at first uh, give, the, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sin condemns them. It's Corey Ten Boone, the... Holocaust survivor, the Jew, she and her family hid Jews during the Second World War from the Nazis, were caught. She's a Christian. She said these words, four marks of true repentance are acknowledgement of wrong, a willingness to confess it, 
a willingness to abandon it, and a willingness to make restitution. When those are lacking, true repentance isn't there. You're not a brother or sister. That's what the Bible says. First John 1 John 1.7 If, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another or each other and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's that reality of when we're in the light, we have this fellowship with one another because we're repented. That's got to be there. There's also the reality of spiritual understanding. Sostenes is going to be involved in this letter. Many believe he probably was the one handwriting it. Paul's hands were not good. You can read that in Galatians, probably from a lot of the beatings he, excuse me, beatings he took, a lot of the things he went through. And so as a result, he, when he writes to the Galatians, he says, you see how large my handwriting has to be? I mean, they didn't have texting back then. I remember one commercial when we were in Lithuania and for the phone company that we had, Bitta, which meant bumblebee, uh, that they had this girl and she had two ginormous thumbs from back in the day when you'd text with just your two thumbs. He might have even had some input. Remembered some history. Something. But there's a revelation and a desire to want to do the will of God with repentance. People who will say, yeah, I'm saved, but I don't want to read my Bible, come to church, pay my tithe, witness. There's something that, no, 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 you didn't get it then. It's not true repentance. You're just attending a church. You're not experiencing what God has for you. There has to be some kind of spiritual Understanding, Billy Graham said, the wonderful news is that the Lord God of, and of mercy, He responds to repentance. So we have to see repentance as a gift. It does matter how you respond to God. It doesn't matter how bad you were before. And this is true of both believers and non-believers. This man, he opposed everything that God was trying to do. He's trying to get Paul arrested. He's trying to get the whole thing shut down. He's trying to get them kicked out of Corinth. He's trying to stop. And in other places, there was some success for that. And Sostenes is trying to stop. But that's not the issue. It's not where you were or what you did. If you're willing to repent, it's where you are and where you can be. Not where you were. I understand that when we sin... There's consequences, even if we repent. If you 
decide tonight, you know what, bag this Christianity, I'm going to go rob a bank, blow up an ATM and take all the money. You might repent the next day, but you're still probably going to go to jail because the consequences don't go away. But when you do repent, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're received into the kingdom. Pastor Greg made the comment when I was on staff over and over, repentance solves a multitude of problems. Acts 18 verse 8, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 11 verse 18 And when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began to praise God. They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege or the gift of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. That's why repentance is a gift. If you're fighting repentance... You're fighting the greatest gift that God could give you. The opportunity to get right with Him. God allows us, despite what we did. I could even see them laughing about it. You know, Paul, I tried to get you killed. Yep, you did. Come on, bro, let's go get a hamburger. They can't get a cheeseburger. They were probably still a little kosher, but anyway. Acts 2, 8, 38, and Peter replied, each one of you must repent from your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual growth is linked to repentance. When you receive, when you repent, God, this opens up access for God to give you. The other thing Sostenese teaches us is not to give up on people. Paul simply said, there's no hope for this sucker. He tried to have me killed. He tried to have me stop. He personally wanted to hurt me. He personally got hurt as a result of it, but he personally wanted to hurt me. Serves him right. That sucker can just split the gates of hell open for all I care. But that's not the Apostle Paul's heart. It says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth, and perhaps God will change people's hearts. They will learn the truth. They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. That we can believe that God could change a man. There are backsliders some of you have given up on. There are rebels some of you have given up on. God can get a hold of them. Kat Von D is a wild, wild girl. She was a tattoo artist that got into, she had her own makeup line and different things. And this article came out just a week ago. It says, last year, 
the tattoo artist made her decision to throw away her old books about magic, witchcraft, and terror. Kat Von D is returning to religion. The tattoo artist turned makeup mogul shared a video of her own baptismal ceremony on Instagram Tuesday, posting a montage of friends and family gathering in the church for the occasion. Kathrine von der Barschenberg, maybe, upon your confession of the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to his divine will, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the pastor said as he dumped her. This chick is wild. I started looking, and this, this led me down a little bit of a rabbit hole of people who got saved. I'm going to mention a name. I'm going to suggest you don't Google her. But Betty Page was the 1950s pinup girl. She, Madonna and Rihanna, credit her with some of the way they can act and dress because of this girl. But in 1959, at a Billy Graham crusade, she got saved. She worked for Billy Graham after that. Gloriously saved. God can save really bad people. He can. Because repentance is a gift. What stands between you and Jesus? Your sin. But your willingness to repent, change your mind, change your behavior, and serve God is what gives you access to what God has for you and all that He could be. Sostenes is a great example of that. And again, his future from here, we don't know. There's no recording. You can Google his name. There's a thousand speculations and nobody is sure. But what is obvious is that he started in total opposition and he ended, brother, with me, writing spiritually, involved in the things of God. If God can save him, Kat Von D, or you, God can save anybody if they'll repent. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. God's grace of repentance, the power of repentance. It is just a remarkable understanding that God wants to help you. That's the miracle that God wants to help you. But it begins with your willingness to repent. Not just join a church or be a little religious or tag it on. I go to the church. I do this. I. It's God laying hold of your heart that you are willing to turn from your sins and have a different behavior. And if you're here tonight, you're not, you've never experienced that. 
You need to. Jesus preached, repent. Peter said, repent. John the Baptist said, repent.
Please, let's worship him. Father, we love you.